Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a podcast where we talk about race, media, race, media, culture, politics, politics. and everything in between. Race, media, culture, politics. There's four things. Race, media. <laughs> Eight. It is actually the four things. <laughs> there were four things. You said four things. Yes. Race, media, things. culture, politics, race, and everything. Oh, shit. Yeah, that is four. <laughs> <laughs> race, media, culture, politics. Hi, welcome to Outrageous, a weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Happy season five. Yes, season five. We are back. We've had a fantastic summer. We can't wait to tell you all about it. And we have so much planned for season five. Thrills, chills, ups, downs. All around. How are you two? Happy, happy, um, what is it? September? October? Fall? Happy fall. Fall just started, yeah. Happy fall. Um, our summer of... Suppose it's happy fall. Jason, what is the Jewish holiday that is this month? Yes, we Several. just started the new year. Huh? With a what bang. With what a bang. What year is this? We'll should we be it. making, um, should we be making, um, new year resolutions? I don't think that's the way they do it. it you guys don't do it that way? No, mm. you know, you have Yom Kippur, you have to atone for all your sins. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, <laughs> right out the gate. <laughs> you got to do it right out the gate. <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> no, I think I saw it was, isn't it something like 3,500? No, it's 5,000. 50, 57, 85. I'm going to embarrass. Well, then who was listing that date? I think I saw something that said 3490. I was like, what? But- no, that was thousands. <laughs> yeah, 5781, I think. 5781. Wow, 5781. That's a lot of years. Yeah, happy new year. And what a year it's been, huh? And what a year it's shaping up to be. Oh, so uh, you guys are actually in the future. A good new year, maybe. Well, no, it's the same. Okay, well, none of that is true. <laughs> How was your summer? Uh, Trisha, you first. Exciting things that I did. Experienced two earthquakes. Okay, can we? Okay, can, we're just going to pause here. Really? Like, can you? How are you going to start with that, Trisha? Just talked about not starting morbid, and then you started. It was morbid. morbid. It was actually quite of exciting. I was like, "Woo!" <laughs> I went to Joshua Tree. That was really good. I went to Joshua Tree, and it was 104 degrees. And then when I talked to someone back home in um, Studio City, California, they're like, "It's 124." So it was actually better wow. to be in Joshua Tree. Wow. <laughs> It will just be inhospitable soon there. I know. It was, what does that feel like when you walk outside? You know, I don't remember if you recall, there was a summer in New York when it was oppressively hot. And oh, Rich, I remember. Get, yes, we went to Roosevelt Island, which don't do that. Um, but it was just like you were outside in the weight of the heat on you. But this is a little bit different because in New York, it's muggy. This was dry heat. So it was just more like uncomfortable and kind of like, I can't breathe. Kind Were you of sweating? No, it was weird. I wasn't sweating, but it was just really unpleasant. It was just like, huh. it's too hot. But it was beautiful. I looked great on camera because the lighting and the tree, I mean, it was wonderful. I'm looking at all these pictures from the trees and it's just beautiful. So Joshua Tree, definitely a thing to do. I did at some point think to myself, I can't be here in the dark. I can't believe people actually camp here. That would creep me out. I can't believe people camp outside. When I went to the Grand Canyon last year, 
people like go on camping trips. Now, when you look into the Grand Canyon, you're like, no, ma'am. But like, can't believe people want to go down there and sleep there. I mean, I guess it's special. I mean, I remember being at Joshua Tree, though. I was afraid of getting lost in the daytime. Yeah. It's very much that. I mean, you just drive on the road and there's nothing for miles and miles. And you're just looking around and you're like, okay, where are we going? And then the only thing I can think about is like, oh my gosh, we can't run out of gas. Like, it's just that kind of experience. There's nothing there. So it's there. an adventure. You're like freaked well, I, out, stressed I out. mean, a I sort of getting adventure. getting out of the car though. We like walked a ways and then all of a sudden turn around and it's like, where's the road? I know. <laughs> all I see is trees in every direction. No. Now they're cool trees. They're not trees like anything I've ever seen before, but. They're the I last no trees you'll ever see. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want the sun to go down. I mean, obviously the sun, sunset there is probably really beautiful, but then I kept thinking to myself, I don't want to drive down these dark roads. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. morbid. Mm. But it was beautiful. It was good to be in nature. Mm. I really needed it. I took a full week off and went, in, went for about three to four days. And I have to say the lightness, I had not realized how tight my shoulders had been. Mm. And then after three days there, I was like, oh, oh. I was suddenly the, very limber. The magic of Joshua Tree. Well, the uh, magic of no job, I guess. I, hello. Jason, <laughs> <laughs> how was your summer? What was something exciting that you've done this summer? Well, it started great. You know, got married like the first day of summer. Oh, my and then, God. Wait, that's I, I, just the one bookend. The other bookend, my summer ended great with uh, your visit, Chris. And yeah. So, oh, yeah. You yeah. Town. Audience, don't. Don't flinch. Yes, it was during COVID. <laughs> I have been on a plane twice, and now I was on the train down to see Jason. We went down for the second March on Washington, which was... How was that? Great. You know what I have to say? I was nervous because I was like, all right, there's going to be... Pe- people are coming in from all over the country for this, right? Mm-hmm. I was nervous, like, oh, I'm going to catch COVID. This is terrible. Jason's got four kids. I'm going to infect them all. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but... On the mall, there was enough space for people to really spread out. Like you sat down on the lawn and then people were about a good eight feet away from you and everyone was just casually hanging out, listening to speeches. I didn't actually stick around for the actual march because as more people started to come in, I was like, oh no, 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 this is, it was getting a little close. This one woman walked past me and brushed up against me. I mean, it's the first time a stranger has touched me in months and I freaked out and I was like, okay, time to go. but I didn't go to the march, but it was really great. Martin Luther King's Jr.'s granddaughter spoke and she's like 12 years old. And uh, she was so, compe- she was more compelling than MLK3 who spoke right before her. Uh, she was fantastic. And I mean, she was always going to be, right? There's nothing else that this little girl can do with her life except for like organizing, <laughs> right? I'm sure, I'm sure she has some hidden talent like she likes to sing or build things, but there'll be none of that. Be How do you that. feel about that? Is that sad or is that like, I mean, is that weird that I think she's it's, I, that tradition? I think it's sad, but she's the only grandchild of him. And so, oh, wow. Yeah. Right? She's the only grandchild? She's the only grandchild of him. Wow. So I, is it sad? I don't know if it's sad, actually. I don't know. I don't know if it's sad. I was just, it is. It's not sad for her. It's more sad that we're still doing, we still have the need for this thing. <laughs> but it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see Jason. And his whole family, I don't know if you know, but Jason got married recently. Um, Shut up, Chris. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and now you've heard it too much? He got married and like they have a dog. 
the dog, you know, dog was out of control. We don't have to go. You did well with the dog. I thought it was going to be much worse. It was pretty bad. The dog was poorly <laughs> behaved. It jumped all over me. It wanted that to slobber. So Mason thought That's it was like okay. what dogs do. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. <laughs> we had a really great it time. It was a great time. Yeah, it really was. So so there it is. Those were our those were our summers. It was uh it was great. And we're lo- I'm looking forward to a nice holiday season. Um no one knows what it's gonna look like, but sure. Did you think when this started that at Christmas we'd be like, well, I guess we're still doing this. Well, you know, the other day, Javi was like, are you going to trick or treat this year? And I'm like, I hadn't even thought about it. It never even occurred to me. And so I was like, that's interesting. And then today the CDC releases trick or treating is, you know, high risk behavior or something like, you you mean going from home to home? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And touching things that were in other homes. Like I just, I haven't, I haven't integrated COVID into normal life in the holiday season. So like, it's, it was just weird. Like it just hadn't even occurred to me. I hadn't thought about like, I've, I've seen costumes and stuff start to show up in the stores and it just didn't click that like, oh wait, this is a very different thing to think about this year. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Cause you know, it's the one holiday where we're all wearing masks, but they won't be enough. And you know, COVID has now changed our whole lives. Like think Christmas carolers are literally a bioweapon now. That's they show true. up, they knock on your door, they spit all over you. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm giggling at the, at the thought of what you just said. <laughs> Mistletoe, dark, can't do that. Dark, dark, dark. I'm hoping for a better uh, 2021 uh, or a better um, 5,781. That's where we're at, right? <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's, we're going to start this season off positive and then uh, quickly descend. So, Let's jump into some topics, yes? So at the very beginning of the Jewish New Year, the first thing that happened as soon as the sun went down, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had passed away, causing much dismay and much crying and so much mourning, so much grieving. But also, I want to really highlight how panicked people were on that night. You looked at the panic online, that people were like, oh my God, the world's over, the country's going downhill. How is it that a whole set of ideas rested on one woman's life, right? The fact that RBG is gone, the fact that the Supreme Court is going to shift, is somehow going to wipe away everything, liberal ideology, completely. And it's, we have this way of idolizing people and wrapping up an entire ideology into them instead of taking the time to actually build out that ideology and install it into various systems in our government and society so that should one part of it fall, the whole thing doesn't collapse. Or am I misreading this? Yet again, the progressives, the Democrats in this case, I don't know if it's a failure of imagination or just the inability in shifting the political conversation, but somehow progressives, liberals, Democrats, whatever, are always in the defensive position, always pushing back against and never really spreading out like the Republicans do into all systems. Like, I want to talk to you all about that. Like, what do you think about RBG's death? And what does the reaction say about who we are as Americans and where America is? So I heard about her death and I was going to get on a call. I'd had a Zoom call schedule, but then I read, I read that she died. And I was like, let me go for a walk. So I don't usually take my phone on the walk. So I went for a walk and then I proceeded not to engage any social media 
for the rest of the weekend. Wow. Good for you. I, I flipped on Instagram and it was just a sea of her. So I was like, ah, oh, that's going to be too much. And it was just a lot of gnashing and wailing. Of What was really interesting was, first of all, it's weird when you take a, a, a break from social media so you don't have this unified experience that other people are having. If you hadn't told me that she had died, I wouldn't have known, right? It just went through the weekend kind of blissfully unaware. And then I read a couple of pieces about her. And then I was like, okay, all right. Like, I think that first of all, like the iconography around her is just the iconography around everything. It's like, we all just have to experience and get swept up in these weird emotions. And I just didn't really feel like going down that road. And I feel really kind of good that I didn't because now I feel like I can look at her as simply a Supreme Court justice. That's it. No other representation, no superhero, no notorious whatever. And so I've been able to sort of read pieces that say, well, is the Supreme Court the final law of the land ultimately? Well, yes. By definition, yeah. but there are other there are other levers in our society. Well, which is which is right? exactly what I want to talk about. But Jason, what was your reaction? Some episodes ago, I raised the question of, you know, what, what Trump is so good at on in marketing, and I know we're not mainly talking about Trump, but just to set this up, you know, he has this great thing about like a wall and it's so like, it, it's so tangible. And as much as I think it's stupid and so many problems with it, it like people get behind it because it's simple. He's got these simple ideas and things that you can, you can picture in your mind. And like, what do we have on the left like that? And we kind of talked about like, what's a good rallying cry? And where we landed was jobs. Like that's something everyone wants. That kind of makes sense. But now I've been, just now that she has died and I've been thinking about why this is such a huge problem as we're discussing. And the jobs thing, the problem is both parties can claim paths to jobs. And we don't have to get into that now. But what, what the unifying principle behind Republicans right now, and, and probably has been for some time, is anti-abortion. I mean, there are Republicans who feel very strongly about other things like guns and you know, uh, other things. But what they all have in common, all the people who voted for Trump, I would guess, is anti-abortion. Those who love Trump and those who held their nose and voted for him, you know, those who held their nose usually did it because of the Supreme Court, because they want to get a court that will get rid of abortion. I don't think we have anything like that on the left. The thing about abortion is they know it's like very simple what they want. They want abortion outlawed. That's like such a simple aspiration. And they feel very strongly about it. It's like, it's two powerful things. A simple solution, not saying it's easy, but a simple solution and one that, you know, some people feel so strongly about. I can't think of anything like that on the left. I mean, there are things that we want and like, so I think about, you know, her and she did, you know, she did some great things. She deserves a lot of credit. Um, But you know, her being replaced by an anti-abortion justice is such a powerful aspiration for the right. And there's, you know, we want Obamacare, we want, but, but like, we have all these disagreements about like, well, you know, is it universal or is it, you know, Medicare for all? And we just don't have that unifying principle. And I think that that is part of what makes the right such a formidable force, even though it's not a majority and it, it's what allows a ridiculous president like Trump to come to power. But, and it, what, what's make, I'll just finish it. Just, what makes this moment so fraught is that 
she she's gone. She's likely to be replaced by an anti-abortion justice. Those with no left, you know, pretty much mo- almost all of us want to preserve abortion in some form. And so it's, we're just really vulnerable. Under, under everything you're saying is this idea that like, how did one woman end up in this position? She's the bulwark between pe- women having this right. They just shouldn't have gotten here. Like it's, so what it is what you say, like the Republicans, and we've had this conversation on the podcast about how their sort of rallying cry, cries are very clear. No mm-hmm. immigrants, uh, hate gays, uh, women shouldn't have a, it's very, very clear, right? So, but their messaging is clear and they can spread that out amongst several institutions, right? All up and down the governmental spectrum. But somehow liberals can't do that. So we, we pick a superhero, and we pin all of our stuff on them. And now that she's gone, now there's widespread despair because we are admitting that we don't have any other system to catch us. And I just don't know how we ended up there. You know what I mean? There's, there are, if you look at the popular vote over the past couple of years, people are skewing towards Democrat and liberal. But somehow the Democrats are always acting like they're the redheaded stepchild who lives underneath the stairs and they can't make too much noise. Otherwise, they're going to get beaten up. And that's, I, I don't understand that. You know what I mean? Trisha, walk me through how we end up idolizing people instead of working on our systems. First of all, maybe we want to admit that what the conservative have right is an understanding of the underpinning of their own country, which is that maybe at the at the crux of it, the country is essentially something that you always have to push to do right. The institutions themselves don't automatically do right, right? You have the laws on the- What does right mean in this situation? What do you mean? I mean, but, well, to do right by the people, to uphold their own laws. Oftentimes what someone will say is, oh, it's written in the books. Uh Uh-huh, but I have to force you to do it. So essentially what you're doing is you're fighting against inertia. Yeah, that's, I think that's absolutely that's true. That's, it. that's why everything, I think, feels confrontational for the left, because you're fighting against, I mean, that's oddly enough why someone would say it's conservative, right? The conservative position is let's just let it stay where it is. But then you're basically constantly pushing something up a hill. All of the, all of the rights and the protections that we've gained were not set in stone preliminary we have to earn them we had to push the government towards them we, so we have to it, constantly do that though you know yeah. the fact that we are still talking about roe v wade after it has already been settled is it's that sort of thing well and, and i think that's really important right because i mean i think um what is it the gay icon i think that died the one that um, was behind act up oh, yeah, he said these right. rights um these rights were um they're not forever you win your rights all the time. I mean, it's connected back to how we opened up the podcast and I was like, isn't it a shame that his grandchild is asking these same questions? Probably not, right? Because this notion of you constantly having to recreate the world anew is part of the challenge of the liberal, the liberal side, I think, is because you're always recreating the, the world anew. And the conservative side is like, let it stay as is. The fact that we are still talking about these things. You know, let's talk about like Roe v. Wade or something, like courts made a decision and now we have to constantly, we're constantly trying not to lose the ground as opposed to, and we we put that on the Supreme Court. 
as opposed to spreading that out through our institutions. What do I mean by that? You know, I want to point out that the whole reason why people feel this strongly about the Supreme Court is because one entire branch of government just stopped working. Working. Ago. Yeah, sure. Okay? That's true. So sure. the reason why we are, we were so, we sanctified the court was because they really were the only, um, especially now with this administration, they're the only branch of government that works. And so I understand the panic that people had, and it feels like it's about RBG, but it's really about uh, our entire system. You yep. know? Yes. If now that we now that RBG isn't there, now that it's probably going to be a conservative person going in there, maybe we should start talking about making Congress a viable branch of government again. Now, with all these QAnon people and stuff winning elections, it's going mean- to <laughs> be uphill. It feels really disheartening. But this should have been well, the I kind of it- groundwork that Democrats have been should have been laying since Obama. The Tea Party should have been attacked full force. But instead, we just lay down and said, okay, well, I guess Congress isn't doing anything. Let's, let's you know, deify everyone in the court. I think the instinct was to find your, um, the best solution or the best option for yourself. Because I think, you know, it's funny because I got a text from somebody that was saying, why are Americans, so fi- why are Americans fighting so hard to kill babies? Who sent you that? Unfriend that person. No, you know, I mean, I, 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 and I realized to myself, that's a win. That's a win for mm-hmm. that ideology, right? Yeah, because for yeah. me, I said, and I responded right back and said, it has absolutely nothing to do with dead babies. Because if these people cared about dead babies, a, a whole sea of policy initiatives please. wouldn't have any resonance. So about I say, border, so yeah, any of those things. But to me, I said, you know, what this really fundamentally is about is freedom to control your own body to the point where you get to kill whatever is inside of you at whatever point in time or and also really connected to the idea that you get to kill yourself euthanasia if life becomes too painful the conservative party is the party of liberty right and yet they are fully engaged in taking away the most sacrosanct thing you have which is your control of your own body Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's one of the things I've always, that's always struck me that we've never talked about that argument. Like they've got it down to like, you're killing babies. Ah, not quite. But if you cared, we'll show you people who kill babies and let's make sure that that doesn't happen or policies that kill babies. Like, so it's like, that to me has been the the challenge of like the liberal imagination. How do you reconfigure these arguments so that they are much more than about these like weird trigger points that have been offered and actually about something like my body is my own. Like my, like, I mean, people made fun of it. My body, my choice. That's not as much of a rallying cry because. But it is. Why would it be a rallying? Your body is sacrosanct. See, the reason why it's not a rallying cry is because the state has never respected the body of mm-hmm. its most vulnerable, which are black and brown people. Mm-hmm. It does what it wants to our and, body. And women, and women. Well, this is, it, but, that, but that's my point. You're making my point. You know, this is the point is that the Republicans, their rallying cry is really simple. No abortions for anybody. Now, the opposite of that is like abortions for whoever wants them. But that's problematic, you know, as far as the Democrats and their electability is concerned. You know, and but you know, that's not, but that's not the kind of thing. But you've earned you. You're playing with their argument. I, I am. As, yeah, I heard. You're it playing with their it. argument. I'm saying 
It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. And, I, I, and it's so funny because people try it's to pull funny, me down. It's funny, like, look, it just happened just as I was right talking. Th- just like, right it's there. so deep in us. Listen, it's not in deep in me because I will say it in people's faces and they're like, oh my God, you're, you're pro-killing yeah. babies. I said, I didn't say any of those things because this has nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. What I'm telling you is these people don't even want you to let people in their homes. How did we get to a place where people are rallying to let themselves into your body? I remember years ago reading about when that it was really a bad idea for us to start legislating bodies. But the reality is that we've been legislating bodies ever since we bought slaves here. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And so that's like a natural part of our tradition. And so I think because it's such a natural part of our tradition, you actually have to work very hard to get the country and to get its laws out of that space. Cause it was built on a foundation of saying some bodies could be owned and treated however they wanted to. So it's a natural extension to extend that to women, to extend it to certain people. I mean, all of those things make sense together. So I actually, I mean, I dare say that maybe Republican or GOP ideology is so fundamentally American in some ways that to offer something in contrast is the difficult case. I I think there's a lot to what you're saying. And there is though, there has been a kind of innovation here. I don't think abortion was illegal at the beginning of the country. And I don't think there, it was like a strong tenet of Christianity either. That's something in the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years that, and I should research the history, but it, that, it was decided that that was, that was an issue that the Republican Party could, could expand and build and strengthen on, and, and especially with, you know, quote, Christianity, unquote, behind it. And so it is... It's, it's just, strategic, it, right? Absolutely it's non-ideological. It's absolutely. It's so funny because people say it's ideological. I was like, it, it, it cannot be ideological. If it was ideological, all your other ideas would necessarily um, flow from that. But it's not, it's, it's entirely strategic. Yeah. So in wrapping this up, if the Republicans have a sort of clear marching orders, liberals are always struggling. Uh, and this is part of my argument. We end up deifying people because people are easier to um, describe and idolize than it is to like expound a bunch of ideas. Where does that leave the progressive movement, which feels like it's on the brink of something, or at least it felt that way in the past year with AOC and Bernie and the rest of them. Like, is that just doomed to fail in America? Or am I, I don't think it's doomed dramatic? to fail at all. I think what they have to do is own the very thing that people have been saying all along. Which is? Which is the progressive party is about your most marginalized. That's really hard to sell. It seems like it's hard to sell. Okay, because- so this is it. I want you to think about this. Sell it in 20 seconds, because I can sell a anti-abortion in less. Sell that, sell about the most marginalized in 20 seconds, go. As a Christian. Okay, that was a powerful start. Okay, <laughs> that was good. <laughs> go on. As a Christian, God exists on the margins. That is the fundamental ideology of Christianity, is that God is not at the temple, He is with the poorest of the poor. So if you are, where are the poor? What are their issues and what are they struggling with? You solve for the poor amongst us and you solve for everyone. 
the biggest problem with us and with the Democratic Party is that they do not center their most vulnerable. They do not do that. Policy naturally flows from your most vulnerable. You know what? You know what? Healthcare for all, your most vulnerable is taken care of. Babies, poor people, the sick, everyone is taken care of when you say that. I, that's why people are like, oh, I'm like, I don't think progressive struggle. I think progressive struggle with this idea that they are essentially saying some people need to be taken care of. I love it. I moved. It Who says work. no? Like, it would never work. You know. It would never work. And this is why. This it is won't. Never, I know. But tell work. me, what will you say in res- what will you say in response if I say there are babies dying on the street? You care about the baby inside the womb. What's the baby dying on the street right here? Will you walk right over it? Because Which one will you do? The question is uh, in America. The question is, well, why is the baby on the street? What the mother do? What color is it? Let me tell you something. The reason why healthcare for all isn't going to work. The reason why communism is such a bad word in this country is because the idea of everyone being put in the same health network, the fact that you know white women in the suburbs are in the same network with black men in the city is just deeply un-American can, and deeply disgusting to certain people. You this could is, still why. have, but you could. This is the thing I never understood. You could still have Cadillac healthcare. I mean, but now we're talking about nuance. And we started off talking about the fact why Republicans are successful because no nuance needed. No gays, we hate women, no immigrants. Boom, boom, boom. I made that point in three seconds. You no know, poor you, you people. Had, you had a whole sermon. No, and no, no poor people, successful. no poor people, no homeless children, no sick and elderly people alone. I mean, you make the case for the very extreme. You go to the edge of it and you establish it. And I want to see someone get up there. And I've seen some people say it. And when they do it, it's hilarious. I'm not here for the sick and decrepit. <laughs> say it out loud, please. Say it more. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> position yourself, position yourself as a full-born supporter of your, the most vulnerable. First of all, you feel so powerful when you say it. All right, Jason, we got to wrap this up. You have the last word. I think the best opportunities for progressives to have strong rallying cries are going to be climate as more and more parts of the country get destroyed. Like when it's your house is burning down, you had to evacuate, your kids are getting sick because of the quality of the air. When people feel that they and especially their children are in danger. Um, and I think coronavirus has been that opportunity too to say, like, this guy and his party, they're letting us die. And if we can keep the focus on the ways in which Republican policies are killing or allowing to die so many people, regardless of what party affiliation they have, I think that's the best shot. All right. So let's move on and talk about you know, the excitement of the summer for some people is versus. We had Teddy Riley versus Babyface, Rick Ross versus Two Chains, Brandy versus Monica, and Gladys Knight versus Patti LaBelle. This is, I don't, I don't know who started versus, but it's just getting two black luminaries 
to sort of get together and enjoy each other's catalog and trade stories and sort of sing along with tracks. And it has been garnering millions of views on Instagram. 4.2 million people watch Brandy vs. Monica. And I haven't seen the numbers for the Gladys Knight, um, Patti LaBelle one. So, I mean, this has been great. If you haven't been following it, it's just such a celebration of black music and uh, black people. And it's just such a great time. And one of the great things about watching it is that you look at the comments, like it's like Mariah Carey is like, I love this. Joe Biden popped in, Kamala Harris, like the most famous people you've ever heard of are watching verses with the rest of America, which here comes my left field question. Why haven't white people stolen this yet? If there's one thing we know white people are good for, it's for stealing everything. Got me thinking with so much of black culture, black music, black experience and actual black identity being stolen by white people, it got me thinking, are there aspects of black culture which remain black and just for black or African-American people? And those, those cultural institutions or artifacts that resist that kind of colonization, why have they resisted it? Any ideas? Well, first, versus the first one was in March. So really early. I mean, it was right in time for the pandemic. People I know, and, it, and it's basically by producers Timbaland and Swiss Beats. I didn't know Timberland was involved. Yeah, yeah. They were, it's, it was conceived of as like a virtual DJ battle. And then it's evolved into something else. Oh, good. But I think one of the things, as I've been experiencing Versus, and we're thinking about why some parts of it feel like ours, it's really, am I about to say nostalgic? It really is home music. Every time I watch it, it's such a context like, oh, this is me in high school in my, you know, listening in my basement to this music, or this is what my parents used to listen to when they were hanging out with their friends. There's like a lot of like closed spaces. It's not necessarily spaces that were like open to others. And so some of it was felt like I can easily imagine like a very popular gospel versus like it just there's these spaces where it just feels like these are homegrown spaces that were created for and by black people for ourselves. And so that's, I think, a huge part of, to me, the appeal of versus is like there there's just an element of like an extension of your home. But it's rampant popularity. That, first of all, that has never stopped white people from stealing stuff before. Sure. So they steal, I, they steal precisely I'd, for that reason. I'd like to introduce a very simplistic and generalizing concept here, which is, and I have to admit, I have not watched uh, you know a full versus uh, session, but they're like three hours, right? They're a lot. I, I white people that. generally don't have the attention spans of black people. White funerals are one tenth the length of black funerals, uh, white church services. <laughs> Chris is, you're cracking me up, Chris, stop laughing like that. White, like black people, in my experience, I know I'm generalizing, have much, <laughs> Chris, now I'm laughing because Chris has left the frame. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking, oh my God, Jason's gonna say something he can't take back in a second. <laughs> That's just my experience. Like I'm a white guy who grew up, you know, in a white family, but I've been around a lot of black people. I've been to black funerals. I've been to black church services. 
And your takeaway was that, damn, these things are long. That was your takeaway. I'm not complaining. I'm just observing a cultural difference. And I think if you look at what white people steal from black people, it tends to be three and a half minute songs. Like it's not like a three hour thing. I don't think white people will have the attention span for it. Well, I think, okay, while I won't be- insane, but now I'm thinking about it. No, while I won't be as outrageous as Jason, (laughs) I think what what you're actually getting at is that you can't steal community. I think it's the community aspect of versus. Because when people are there, they're experiencing both the live version and their recollection of the first time, their recollection of the people they were with. Like that's the experience that people are having with versus. Like that's what's been really interesting to watch. But let me and, let me head you off of the past right now and just ask well, you a question, right? If they did Christina versus Britney, do you think what's the community for that? I listen, I, I'm gay and around I'm around a lot of white gay men who are in their 30s and they grew mm-hmm. up with those women they have you know they fully have a full gay storyline around those two women yeah so i see the nostalgia i see the community i see it is that the way that versus might go or will it resist that kind of colonization i i, don't I, know. I think for the will. first of all it's let's it's constrained by the it's constrained by the pandemic part of the charm of it is that there's nothing else for us to do we or these stars and for these stars. So they're, yeah. very, they're very much accessible. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the thing about Versus that has triumphed is the community aspect of it. Okay. And the sense that something is ours. It's not mm-hmm. meant to be, it's not meant to transition to other groups. It's not even be, meant to be comprehensible to other groups. Is there, are, but are there other African-American or Black constructs like that? Church. I told you. <laughs> well, I mean, the, actually, the that's actual, what I'm saying. You know, you know what? You're right. Ritualized things, church, sororities. Um, that's a good point. They are distinct. They are distinct. Like black church, black sororities and fraternities are distinct from white churches, white fraternities and sororities. It's a great point. They're very different. And, and there's so, and you know what it is too? There's so much history layered in how things work. Food options. Yeah, you could do the nouveau food, but there's like, there's like black food and it's connected to the his, the history of where the food comes from when you had access to it all of that stuff now maybe the other maybe the question of versus is also the age of the performers right because that was during a period of time when you had a lot of you had segregation mm-hmm. right you had black clubs you had a lot of so maybe the question is do we continue to have very very segregated spaces i actually think we do yeah and while we can oh yeah oh yeah that, we continue to maintain community and, um, and practices that are just uniquely ours. What's interesting though, is because you both brought up churches and you brought up sororities, black sororities and fraternities. You know, those institutions, churches and fraternities, they were created using the, in opposition to or using the white model as the model, as opposed to something like Versus where it didn't start with Brittany and Christina and they put black people in it and we sort of, you know, it, it started its own thing. Do you know what I mean? Like black Why do you churches, say, are, aren't black fraternities older than white fraternities? I don't know how that's possible. Or are you talking about Greek tradition? Like the tradition naming? Is that what the, the legacy of that? Because no, I feel like churches comes out of communal 
gatherings, but Fraternities right? as we think, fraternities today, as we think about as like college institutions with Greek letters and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, that started with white people. The actual Greek, ancient Greek, no one's talking about that. We're just talking about as it comes to uh, colleges. As far as churches, well, I've gone down on a tangent here. As far as churches, you know, the enslaved Africans brought here didn't have a conception of church as it appears today because they had sort of, they had their ancestral religions where they probably didn't gather in a building to sit in pews and the rest of that. That was a construction given to them by white people, which was then adapted. What I love about verses is that it doesn't seem to adapt any white cultural product that I can think of. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's novel. No one's ever thought about having two stars come and like discuss and talk about their works. I'm not saying that. It's just, and maybe it's a bit of the pandemic, but I am surprised by it, its shocking success in the Black community. And usually that's a trigger for people to start Columbusing. <laughs> you know, it is interesting though. I mean, as you're talking and I'm thinking about what I've read about versus, I mean, some of it is a testament to, I think the savvy and the power of some of the black artists slash entrepreneurs who have a lot of capital and a lot of power in the industry. Now, I mean, you know, the fact that like, it looks like, what is it? Apple and Twitter were kind of begging to be a part of it. And from what it looks like, they haven't colonized it. They are basically being utilized, Mm -hmm. you know, for like, and so people like Swiss Beats and Timberland, who again, I think have been, you know, and there are others um, who've been very savvy. Like I think about, you know, 1950s, 1960s, you had amazing black artists making amazing music and you had, you know, people like Barry Gordy, like you had black entrepreneurs who were part of it, but a lot, it was a lot of like white capital and white corporations behind, you know, that were making a lot of the money, the big money off of those. And I think people like Timberland and Swiss Beats seem to have, they've managed to, you know, carve out their own, their own portions of the industry in a way that it's, they they probably know how to elbow people out. Like they're not going to just be bought out or taken over. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen. I mean, it's the funny thing about it is it's still early days. It could still be colonized. I, um, I yeah. honestly think it will. I mean, yeah, think- I mean, I think so too. I think part of it is just how long it's taken to colonize it. I do think that that will happen on some level. The next um, one will be Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC and then- Well, it's so interesting because every open. time that happens, every time we have a versus, someone starts to say, why can't we do this? And someone's like, why do we need to integrate? <laughs> and I was like, someone always says that. And they're like, why? Why can't this just be our thing? And I just think, you know, the natural, like, you know, there's this, you know, the natural tendencies to like let everybody in, which of course is, you know, everyone's right. But it has been really interesting as a, as a safe and as a safe space, really, because th- that's the other thing. I mean, are we going to talk about it not within the context of like Black Lives Matter, maybe? That maybe this is like also respite? I love that idea. I love the idea that it is, it's so connecting with Black people. I, I'm enjoying it and I'm already lamenting the loss of it uh, because of the moment, because this moment of togetherness with other people of color who have similar experiences with this music, um, even though our experiences as Black people might be really different, like I was telling Jason before this started, like I remember brand listening to Brandy and Monica at the turn of the century, like in their heyday. And I have really strong recollections of that as do other black people. I love that. But uh, at the same time, I think it's not too far off from colonization. I guess that just makes me sad. Um, 
I guess because we will see Brittany versus Christina, or maybe not them because they're still like fairly young. But we'll, we're going to see it come up. Although now, now that you're saying that, it could I can see like I used to actually think about years ago. Timbaland was kind of masterful at like he would um, like Justin Timberlake, like he kind of produced his stuff and made a lot of money off of what Justin Timberlake was doing. And then he did the same thing with actually with Britney Spears. Like he's again, pretty savvy. So I say that just to say it may be black people that start the white version and make the money off it. That would be a uh, welcome reversal. So. I <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing I have to say, it was funny cause I was watching because I didn't necessarily think of myself as having grown up with these mu- this music, because of course we're Caribbean people, but yeah. Patti LaBelle and um, Gladys Knight, I, sh- first of all, it's actually one of the most enjoyable ones. Yeah. And I listened to most of that, and I wouldn't, I couldn't have told you I knew the names of songs, but I but was- you heard every single one. I knew all of these <laughs> yeah. songs, and I was like, what, what, like, it was like, it permeated my youth. Mm-hmm. Like, it permeated my youth through aunts, through uncles, through relatives, through Black radio stations, through sitting in, like, a mall. You know, wherever you were, it was, like, a it, it, it sort of encapsulated, like, spaces that you had been in. So, Well, Patty's it, also from Philly, right? Yeah. And heard it, her stuff I, all over the place. I Yeah. I, you know what? Actually, it was more resonant, to be honest, than, um, than Brandy and Monica, but I think because I'm older, so... Mm-hmm. That didn't. I was like, huh? I'm not. I'm the wrong age for that. <laughs> I want to wrap this. I want to wrap this up. One last question. I'm springing this on you. So I read an article where the idea they introduced the idea of uh, someone being black famous. And oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, remember that was this? on Twitter. So the idea is like, who is the most black famous celebrity you can think of, right? And that's like a slider, like the. The most so the most black famous celebrity would be someone that every black person knows, but no white people know. Who's the most black famous person you can think of? I thought it was Shirley Caesar. Shirley Caesar. See, I don't gospel even know who that singer. Is. I don't even know who that is. I go gospel, to be honest. But you know, if you want to do it, you probably have to go really, really um like earth, wind, and fire territory. Like See, that's that what kind I was of thinking. Thing. <laughs> that's so yeah. funny. That era of music like i was thinking like I, I don't know any of the names of the platters or the pips or any of them <laughs> but i feel like it's definitely gonna but maybe that's my age right because like those things were ever present when i was young in, in my family but i i was trying i was like it's definitely gonna be someone with music it's see i, I go to movies actually i think really? about like mars chestnut do white people know who he is yes they do oh, really? yeah they do he's very acceptable you know what i mean <laughs> I mean, you know first I mean? of all, he's a man mountain, so yes. yes. <laughs> I just, I'm thinking, like, has he been in any movies that weren't directed by black directors? I, I mean, I think they has. probably discovered him later through some sort of crossover piece. Yeah. Like, uh, like I think he was on a Fox show that V and I watched briefly, so maybe making some appearances. Yeah, um, I, I mean, if anyone that. decided to watch Boys in the Hood, uh, they probably felt that pain. <laughs> who's, who's the most white famous celebrity? Someone that every white person knows, but no black person knows. And and audience, yeah, we know this is super simple. We're just having fun, okay? God Elton, Elton John? No. 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 Lana Del Rey? Yeah, somebody like that. Someone someone who's like been specialized. The other day, I was wa- it was the MTV Video Music Awards. 
this person came on screen, no idea who it was. People were going nuts online. It was like, is it Ariana Grande? No, no I know. <laughs> no, I'm just shady. You shady bitch. <laughs> I know. Everybody do, knows her. Do a do a lipa. Do a lipa. Do a lipa. Oh, do a lipa. Is she a person? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know if she was a person or a group. No, she's a person, and she's. she's I mean, Is she she's white or no? She's white. She's Eastern. She's British, but Eastern European descent. But um, but she's been she's had collaborations with black artists like she's gotten out there. Then that's not about race. I'm just old. <laughs> yeah, and I'm You're definitely old. old. Exactly. I was about I'm to call old. you on that. That's just age. I'm You're old. just I exposed it. I only know who she is because I you know I live with three you know girls between eight and ten. Is that well, that just tells you. You know how you know how we used to make fun of people and said, "I'm not gonna. I'm always gonna know the most happening music for the moment." I never that's said that. Not. I, I did, and you now. said that back in the day. You're like, how do you just stop listening and appreciating music? And then you're like... <laughs> but I should have been more clear. Um, all the music I listened to and appreciate was from the late 70s to the early 2000s. Now I'm done. I, exactly. A lot in exactly. That catalog. Exactly. <laughs> I have a 30-year catalog in my head. And done. All right, so let, let's move on to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced. You think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. You've had months to develop this. This is going to be the best of the best. Jason, take us there. Oh, that was a tough lean in. I don't know if this is the best of the best. I watched, uh, Habby introduced me to the Myrowitz stories, which is with Dustin Hoffman and Adam Sandler and oh. Ben Stiller. It's on Netflix. Um, it's essentially a movie. Huh. Um, and it's the acting is great. It's funny. Um, it, it was very good. A, a perfect Jason recommendation. No <laughs> all right. idea what it's about. No all right. Uh, <laughs> all right. No so reason the, why you should watch it. Dustin Hoffman plays uh, an aging artist, um, professor who's taught art and you know, never quite blew up to the extent that some of his contemporaries did. And it's really weighs on him. He's been married four times, although one of my favorite lines from it is technically three, because the first one was annulled. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, he had kids in different marriages and they had drastically different upbringings depending on which mother. And so how he feels about them, how they feel about him, how they ex- relate to each other. Again, it's, 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 moving it's funny at times it's not quite linear it's it's very well done all right sounds good trisha i wish i could give you something as compelling but speaking of people who i don't really track because i feel like i'm way too old but i've i've gone down these um youtube video watching holes watching normandy videos she's a singer from actually a, a group which apparently was very, very popular, but I I couldn't tell you anything about the group. I think it was one of those like, hello, we're going to create a, a band and put these ladies together. Oh, you know what? She auditioned as a solo act on X Factor in 2012. Oh, and then she became um, a member of Fifth Harmony, which yeah. I... Fifth Harmony. Which I've heard, but like couldn't tell you really a song right I think now. They had a really hot song. Wow. No, they had a couple. They had um, "Give It to Me, Young, Worth It." Again, I oh. eight, eight to ten year old girls. Um, <laughs> oh, is that what that is? There you and go. And then what's her name? The uh, what's her name? 
the one who sings Havana. Yeah. She's from that group, Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. She's part of that group. Because, that you know, now, because once you break up in a group, everyone has to track yeah. how the other is doing. So apparently, Normandy is just very, very popular, has been extremely popular for a really long time. And she's just with somebody that I never really attended to. And then I was watching YouTube videos and fell down a Normandy hole. So I like motivation. But actually, my favorite is actually a song that she does with a British artist which is fantastic and it just completely just escaped my mind right now and it's so funny because i've been watching it just to pass the time at nights i'll just sit and be like i'm shocked that what? your recommendation has to do with music yeah i know it was you i know are not known as, not my thing it's, you are not sam, known as someone who listens to music like that i know it's sam smith and uh, you know sam smith the yeah. british artist yeah. Sam Smith and Normandy do a I don't know uh, if he was British. Song, dance with a Stranger. I love the video. She's a, she's also a really great dancer. So I've just fallen down like a Normandy hole and watched a bunch of videos. And that really keeps me going every now and then when I just want to be totally distracted. So I recommend Normandy videos on YouTube. Okay. And Chris is now going to recommend an NFL game. Let's hear it, Chris. <laughs> yes. Now let's all break the mold. Up, <laughs> up is down. Down is right. Left is up. Okay. So I am going to recommend the Instagram handle Humans of NY, Humans of New York. So Humans of New York is a project by Brandon Stanton, who is a photographer. And what he does on Instagram is that he will just go up to people um, in New York and he'll just collect their stories. He'll just talk to them. Usually the, their stories of love, loss, substance abuse, redemption. It's the kind of thing like you read and there's pictures of the person and what they're talking about. And like you, you cry in your cubicle at work, uh, you know, if you still have a job. We know most people don't. Recently, months ago, he posted the story of this older black woman, like an octogenarian who went by the name Tanqueray. And he started talking to her Lo and behold, she had this whole career as a showgirl in the 60s, and she told stories. <laughs> yes. She was a go-go girl. She, she was like an escort or a call girl, honey, and she has no problem dropping names. She <laughs> claims that she had slept with the president of the United States. So anyway, um, what Brandon did a couple of days ago is that he has been talking to Tanqueray, whose name is Stephanie, and they, in hopes of starting a podcast. However, Stephanie's health is deteriorating. And he, he can't, he's not going to wait for the podcast. It's not something that looks like can happen now. So what he's doing is he's releasing her story on the Humans of New York Instagram handle. And honey, it's juicy. She's oh my God. This woman has done it all. Lived. She talks about, you know, her terrible home life in Albany, how she escapes to New York. She ends up dancing in Times Square. The, um, he's been released. It's going to be in 32 parts. I think I'm, it's up to part 14 or 16 now. She was just talking. The one I just read was uh, she got hired to be a, to go to um, some, some rich guy's hotel room and pretend to be a maid. And he would like order her around. And it turns out it was Bloomingdale, the guy who owned the department store. And the thing I love about Stephanie is that she's naming all the names. Good thing they're dead, I guess. He is scalding hot. And people are eating it up. Jennifer Garner, Ava DuVernay are all in the comments dying and living simultaneously for this story. Brandon has set up a fund for um, Stephanie for her medical costs. And uh, I think they were looking to get 200,000. They blew past that. So now they're, 
the goal is at a million. And at the time of the, we're recording this, it's at 800,000. That's after- Oh my goodness. That's after three days. Um, nice. If you, if you, first of all, you should follow Humans of New York, but please read this black woman's story. Give this black woman money. She, the story is priceless. It's a story of an American. Uh, and if you like scandal, if you like sex, if you like uh, hard luck stories, uh, Check out Stephanie Tanqueray. It's awesome. There it is. Really that, was, good. that was a good one. Yeah, was a good I, one. I warned you. I told uh, the whole story it's already. As soon as we get off, not you, Jason, because you're not on Instagram, whatever. But Trisha, please read it. It's so you can't stop. I read, I think, I think I read parts of it on Twitter. Yeah. You I remember it. that and I was like, wait, she's having sex with the president? Yeah, I well. I can, by the time you all hear this listener, the whole story might be out. I want her to name the president. I, I think it was wait. Reagan. Shut up. She I think it was. If it's I don't the think same, she's named it. the same one. Ra- oh my God. Ew. I mean, someone I really. That someone bothers really, me. I think it's someone really like sacrosanct, like sacrosanct for certain, for certain Like groups. Reagan? Somebody like that, you know. Well, I mean, Actually, I is there any president that wouldn't disgust you other than like Kennedy or Obama? Sleep, if you had to sleep with the president, past or present and it can't be kennedy and it can't be obama oh well you're taking who would it be who would it be <laughs> get me to a nunnery get me to a nunnery no you have to you have <laughs> oh, jimmy to carter jimmy carter is easy ew jimmy carter i'm jimmy, looking at i'm thinking of all the ones that came and i'm like of all of them probably jimmy Jerry, I mean, gerald ford he was handsome he pardoned Nixon. You don't have to talk about that while you're sleeping. <laughs> I know, right? You're like, no. Yeah, no. Uh, or Eisenhower. He was kind of handsome in that sort of 50s way. Really? I mean, if you had to. If you had to, if I guess. If you had to. I, no one said Bill Clinton. That would surprise Bill Clinton probably most of all. I mean, from the pictures, Thomas Jefferson was hot. That's going to be edited. Right no offense, out. but he would have slept with you in a second, whether you wanted to or not. <laughs> oh, I mean. Back to dark and morbid. And on that note, everyone. Actually, it's horrible. Bye. Bye. She's <laughs> just shaking her head. He's just saying goodbye. Bye. Bye.